Are you mad about mask mandates, vaccine mandates? I have some practical advice for you. Don't quit your job just yet. Plus, how the game is played, how we should play it. All that's coming up on I'm Right. We're going to get to Kellyanne Conway and the purge from the government. We're going to get to Heavy D. We're going to get to Kamala Harris out in California and someone throwing eggs at Larry Elder. And yes, all the Biden stuff. But I thought it was appropriate in light of this Biden announcement today about the new things they're going to do to attack coronavirus. I thought it was appropriate to give you some practical advice. Why do I think it's appropriate to do that? Because I made the mistake of picking up my phone and checking my email right before the show started and my email inbox is full of people scared to death and mad. Jesse, what am I going to do? Jesse, my employer's mandating this. My employer's mandating that. Our school is making little Billy do this. Our school is making little Sally do that. Jesse, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Calm down. That's step one, calm down. This is the beginning of this battle, not the end. You haven't lost anything. Allow me to give you some practical advice right now. Let's say your boss calls you in this afternoon and says, Bill, we are passing down a vaccine mandate for this company. No, 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 no. No negative tests. No natural antibodies, no nothing. You get the vaccine or you're fired. Do you hear me, Bill? You are almost undoubtedly, even if you're vaccinated, almost undoubtedly going to want to say, okay, well, I quit and go screw yourself. You'll want to say something along those lines. That's a family-friendly show, so I made sure I left it like that. It'll be something along those lines. And then you'll storm over to your desk and grab that picture of your wife you keep behind the desk and and the pen you brought to work because you're not going to leave that with them. And you're going to take off, and it's going to feel so good. And you're going to get in your car and be like, oh, gosh, I showed them. You know what? I think I'll stop by and grab a six-pack tonight. Yeah, quit my job, and I stood for something. And you're going to go home that night, and you're going to have four or five of those beers, and the wife is going to be a little apprehensive about the bills, and she's probably going to bring that up, and that at some point is going to get into your head, and you're going to think to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, now what do I do? There's a better way. There's a better way. If that boss has that conversation with you today, and I realize that's many of you right now, my emails tell me that, Don't say anything, nothing. If he has that meeting with you, you simply look him in the eye, say, okay, nod your head, and you walk out the office. Now, I'm not telling you don't do anything. Oh, no, 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 no. It's time for action. It's time for aggressive action, quietly. You don't sit and scream at your boss. You don't give him a middle finger. You don't email him back some dirty words. You walk out that door and you start approaching in person other people in the office and you start organizing. You start getting together. You start figuring out how many of you are there. Do we have something significant here? You start looking into lawyers. You talk to your lawyer before you do anything, before you quit or send the nasty email or anything. 
Now is the time for smart. Smart. Not stupid. Not what you feel like doing at the time. Smart. This is smart time here. Smart time. You be smart. I know you're scared. And I know you're mad. And you have every right to be both of those things. I get it. I'm not telling you not to be. Don't let that fear and anger translate into dumb. Let that fear and anger translate into purpose. This also applies to parents. Because I have just as many emails from parents who are mad about schools. Because so many school districts in this country have just lost their minds. Mask requirements, vaccine requirements. I mean, there are places in this country, if your child doesn't have the vaccine, they're making them get tested everywhere. It's just insane. If you're one of these parents, I know what you want to do. I know you want to email back the principal and use a bunch of four-letter words you wouldn't say in front of your kids. I know. I know you might want to storm down there and give him a piece of your mind. Maybe knock his pen holder over on the way out the door. Ha ha, showed him. What did you accomplish? Felt good for about five seconds. But what did you accomplish? Nothing. Now little Billy's out of school and you have to homeschool or quit your job. Not that that would be the end of the world. You have to stop, stop. Get on the phone. Start text messaging. You undoubtedly know other parents in that school. Do you have any idea? Even if you don't know other parents in that school, do you have any idea how many other parents in that school think just like you? Smart, quiet, organize, all of you. Organize a big demonstration, peaceful demonstration. Get a lawyer. Talk to the lawyer first. Now is smart time. Once again, I'm going to say this to you for a, a, a lot in, in coming days. Now is not the time to let anger and fear translate into dumb. Let it translate into smart. Smart. Now is the time for smart. All right? Moving on. Joe Biden did something yesterday that has the right absolutely up in arms angry. And it shouldn't at all. Oh, he, he landed a shot on us. No question about it. Shouldn't make you mad if you're on the right. It should wake you up to how the game should be played. This is how the game is played. Politics is a dirty, filthy, contact sport. And if you want to live your life being nice, I want everything to be nice, uh, 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 go play chess. This is politics. This is for all the marbles. Joe Biden purged a bunch of Trump's military appointees, a bunch of them, including Kellyanne Conway. And Kellyanne Conway is, I love Kellyanne Conway, full disclosure. Kellyanne Conway came out with a great statement, quote, your response is disappointing, but understandable given the need to distract from a news cycle that has you mired in multiple self-inflicted crises and plummeting poll numbers, including a rise in new COVID cases, a dismal jobs report, inflation, record amount of drug drugs coming across the southern border, and of course, the chaotic and deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan that has left hundreds of Americans and thousands of Afghan allies stranded under Taliban rule. So Kellyanne Conway still is going to do Kellyanne Conway things and land some nice shots on the way out the door. She basically said, I'm not going to resign. Well, this is what she said. She's like, I'm not going to resign, but you should. So obviously Kellyanne did everything right. But Joe Biden did everything right too. And it's time we wake up and realize this is how the game must be played. Do I have to remind you about Donald Trump's four years? 
fine president, did a ton of great things, but had virtually everything he tried kneecapped. From where? From within his own government. Because Democrats get into office and immediately, like that, look around and fire every single fireable person, oftentimes on day one. If I remember right, I may have this wrong, I believe Bill Clinton fired every single U.S. attorney day one. Day one, you're all fired. Ah, but Jesse, that's mean. Tough. That's life. The politics of nice must be for yesteryear. This is the politics of now. Of now. The next time a Republican gets elected, he better do likewise. He better survey every single thing and fire every single person he can possibly fire. Jesse, that's so mean. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's the way the game's played now. That's the way the game's played now. We don't have time for nice anymore. Joe Biden just laid it out for you. Barack Obama did the same stuff. Bill Clinton did the same stuff. What do we do? Oh, well, I guess he's... I mean, I know he was appointed by my predecessor, but he seems like a really smart guy. You know, I think we'll leave him there. Shouldn't we just leave him there? I mean, enough. Enough. There's a million Alexander Vindmans in the government. Fire them all. Moving on. Kamala Harris is back out at her old kneeling grounds, campaigning for Gavin Newsom, and it's just so weird how these people talk. This recall campaign is about California, and it's about a whole lot more. They're thinking that if they can get this done in California, they can go around the country and do this. You've got to understand what's happening right now. What's happening in Texas? What's happening in Georgia? What's happening around our country with these policies that are about attacking women's rights, reproductive rights, voting rights, workers' rights? They think if they can win in California, they can do this anywhere. Well, we will show them you're not going to get this done, not here, never. They are putting so many resources and time into trying to take out Gavin Newsom. It is because of his vision, it is because of the agenda, it is because of who he fights for. And so we are here to say today, we fight for Gavin Newsom. Her voice is just, it's hard to take. It's hard to take. Gavin Newsom, he uh, is apparently starting to feel the heat. You see, there's a bunch of candidates on this recall ballot, a bunch. But Larry Elder has clearly emerged as the leader as far as the one that is threatening Newsom. You know how you know? Well, Newsom seems to know. We're like, I mean, actually, literally debating democracy in this country. The big lie. The insurrection on January 6th. All the voter suppression bills you're seeing in red states all across this country. And the whole idea that a constitutional right, the right to choice, the right to reproductive freedom, the rights of women now are under assault. What a remarkable moment it is in American history. That's Larry Elder, someone that celebrates what just happened to women in Texas and is celebrating the prospect of overturning Roe v. Wade. And speaking of women, let's talk about Larry Elder's points of view. He doesn't believe, well, he doesn't believe there's a glass ceiling. 
Tell that to Kamala Harris, who did shatter the glass ceiling for Vice President of the United States. Isn't it so weird how these people think? He doesn't think there's a glass ceiling. Well, tell that to the the Vice President of the United States. <laughs> All right. Also, Larry Elder's in the news. Larry Elder, he was out doing the campaign thing. He's strolling down the street. You know, they, they, you know how it works. They have all their people around him. The cameras are all around him. And Larry Elder's strolling down the street, and some crazy communist white woman wearing a gorilla mask chucks an egg at him. And because she's a woman, of course, she missed, but she chucks an egg at him. Everybody's up in arms about it. That's racist. It's racist. It's racist. How many times do I have to explain this to you? Maybe she was doing the gorilla mask thing because, you know, she was trying to be racist and hurt Larry Elder's feelings. I don't know about that. The communist is not racist. The communist doesn't care about race at all. The communist doesn't care about women, doesn't care about gay people or climate change or any of the other things the communist claims to care about here in America. The communist cares only about communism. If Larry Elder switched to Democrat on that stroll down the street, that lady would have taken off her gorilla mask, undoubtedly revealing something much worse underneath, and run up to Larry Elder and given him a big old hug and put a Larry Elder bumper sticker on her car. The communist is committed to his religion all the way. Now we're going to switch gears one more time, and we're going to show you someone who actually understands what time it is. You see, there are different times, different seasons. The good book tells us that. There's a time for this and a time for that. Time for this, time for that. All times are not the same. There is a time for live and let live, keep my hands off, I'm going to back away, and then there's a time to dig in because every single freedom you have is under attack. I don't know whether Ron DeSantis is going to work out or not, but I know this, Heavy D seems to know what time it is. And at the end of the day, my philosophy is, as governor, my job is to protect your individual freedom. My job is not to protect corporate freedom. That is not what I'm here for. I mean, we have a good business climate, we have everything, but this idea that businesses can just do whatever they want and invade your privacy and doing all that, no, I'm not signing up for that. I'm signing up for protecting your freedom and making sure we have a society in Florida where people can make the best decisions for themselves um, and for their families. And that's what we're doing by protecting against these mandates um, and making sure that that's done based on what people uh, believe is best for them and their families, but not something that's imposed either by government or in some respects, in some instances, by very, very powerful uh, private entities. That's how it's done. Not for all times. I would have not been a supporter of that even 20, 30, 40 years ago. All times are not the same. We live in a time now when corporate America has completely aligned itself with the communists against you. If we're going to take the one cultural institution we still have with any juice left, some of the states, and say, oh, we can't use that, then we're all finished. And you know what's wild? I brought up the emails at the beginning segment of all the people who are scared. They're scared about Little Billy's school. They're scared about their job, scared about this mandate and that mandate. What's wild is I didn't get one single email saying, Jesse, I'm, I'm scared that my governor isn't libertarian enough. Not one. I got a lot saying, Jesse, I'm scared about my job. How am I going to feed my family? You gotta know what time it is. All that may have made you uncomfortable, 
but I'm right. We got a great show for you tonight. Do you own a home? Do you? If you do, you may be shocked by this. I'll be honest with you. I was shocked by this when I found out. Your home title, it's online. It's not in a bank vault somewhere. Your home title is online, and therefore it can be hacked. In fact, home title theft is the biggest cyber crime around right now. Go to HomeTitleLock.com because I have a free offer for you at the moment. You can go put in your address. It's a $100 value. Go put in your address and see if you're already a victim of it. And you might be. You might be. You wouldn't know it. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Put in your address. While you're there, sign up. Protect yourself. All right. Got a great show for you. We'll be back. Mandates. I already talked to you right at the beginning of the show about what you need to do if you're worried about what happened today and that Joe Biden speech and the Jen Psaki stuff and all that. I already told you. Calm. Organized. Don't be quitting. Don't be giving your boss the finger. Don't yell at the principal. Get organized. All right? All that said, about to make you mad again. Here was Jen Psaki from, from earlier today. What we've seen work over the past couple of months that he's going to build on are mandates, requirements, uh, making it so that workers uh, in the federal government or others have to get vaccinated. We've seen that work. We can't declare with a magic wand from the federal government that every person has to be vaccinated. School districts can do that. Leaders in states can push their school districts to do that. That's important. Companies can do that and make those requirements for their employees. That's something some larger companies have done, and that's a model. So those are all pieces the president will talk about today. Does it creep you out? That's how they speak. By the way, we obviously know what's in all this stuff today. Vaccine mandates for all the executive branch employees. By the way, don't you find that funny? Let's just pause there for a brief moment. Don't you remember all the times you've heard Joe Biden and Jen Psaki talk about vaccine, vaccine, get the vax, get the vax, vax is important, vaccine, 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 right? The president himself has spread what I've called some of the most dangerous propaganda ever, that this is the pandemic of the, un- of the unvaccinated out there, said that publicly multiple times. Even the Australian premier is saying the same thing now. But prior to today, the employees of the White House didn't have to be vaccinated. Hmm. It's funny. Moving on. Vaccine mandates for all contractors working with the federal government. Vaccine mandates for every federal employee. You're not allowed regular testing anymore, I should clarify. You have to get the vaccines. Local governments and employers are encouraged to put the vaccine and mask mandates in place, and schools should do more testing. Now, I want you to understand something, and I don't like being down, right? I don't like being down, I don't like being dire, but I want you to understand what's coming straightforward from here. What's coming from here is coronavirus is not going away. It's not. It's a virus. It's not going to be defeated. It's not going to disappear. There's not going to be a cure. Coronavirus is never going away. In fact, we're all going to get it. You might have already had it. But setting that aside, coronavirus is not going away. Joe Biden campaigned on coronavirus going away. Also, his presidency is a disaster. So he needs coronavirus, but doesn't need coronavirus. Does that make sense? 
He needs it as the scapegoat. Oh, I'm sorry, the economy's terrible. That <laughs> coronavirus. But at the same time, he can't take accountability for, ooh, I promised to defeat it and I didn't. So he's going to continue for the rest of his presidency. Kamala Harris will take this over as soon as Joe Biden gets thrown out the back door, too. For the rest of his presidency, Joe Biden is going to continue to divide the United States of America. This country goes this way for the rest of Joe Biden's presidency. If you haven't been vaccinated at this point in time, you know I haven't. I, I, I don't care if you have. There's no judgment. I told you why I haven't. I'm 40 years old. I'm not obese. I'm not at risk for coronavirus. I don't believe in taking vaccines for something that don't pose a significant risk for me. That's all. But there's no judgment if you did. But if you haven't got the vaccine by this point, you don't want the vaccine. They're now going to punish you for that. And there are going to be states like Florida that will protect you. And there are going to be several places in this country that don't protect you. And this country is going to go like this. It's coming. All right. Now, dipping. Dipping is something I did for a long, long time. And it's really, really, really hard to quit. Jake's Mint Chew is the only thing I ever found that works. And it only works because, well, it's tobacco-free and it's nicotine-free and it's sugar-free. Those are all the benefits. But it works because it's still dip. I still throw a dip in my mouth. There's 11 different flavors of long cut. There's four different flavors of the CBD pouches. I actually really prefer those because those are cleaner and they take the edge off. But when I crave a dip now, and I still crave a dip, I throw in a Jake's Mint Chew. I'm not doing tobacco. I'm not doing nicotine anymore. Go to jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Use the promo code JESSE for 10% off. We'll be back. Joining me now, Major Glenn Ignazio to talk about, well, all things foreign policy. He may not even know that yet, but we're starting with Afghanistan, Major. Sir, Afghanistan, we, we, we can, we've already rehashed everything we've screwed up, which was pretty much everything. But going forward here, where does this country go from here? Is Panjshir Valley basically already toast? Our resistance force is crushed? Is this the land of the Taliban now? What's the status? Yeah, actually, it, it's still still chaotic. I mean, so the, the the misinformation system is working really well with the, the Taliban. So they're doing that very big on social media and so forth. So the Panjshir Valley, uh, there's still a resistance, uh, but, you know, there's uh, others like Pakistan helping the Taliban with some of the northern operations there. As far as the country itself and, and the politics, you know, it's really interesting is, you know, you have these uh, four, I think it's four that are on the top, list of, of terrorists that uh, are wanted and uh, they're supposedly heading up the uh, the government so it's going to be really interesting what uh, unfolds but uh, as far as the U.S. is concerned you know if they're starting to address the Taliban as the actual government does that mean that the embassy is going to start opening up again uh, I mean you see China moving into Bagram one of the reasons why we pulled out of there is a great opportunity for them to move in so you're seeing a lot of these foreign entities like, you know, China and Russia and others keeping their embassies open to take advantage of us pulling out. So as far as the U.S. engagement, it seems to be very remote. You see all the other countries going in. And uh, honestly, I wonder if the Taliban's even going to still be able to hold the country after a bit of time with uh, uh, their friends with the ISIS. It's not really going to be helping them. They're actually fighting them. 
So it, it's chaos on the ground from, you know, operations militarily and politically. Major, I'm glad you brought up ISIS because that's actually where I was going next with this. Everybody remembers ISIS from, it was mainly during Barack Obama's presidency. We're not going into all that. When they were just carving up Iraq and Syria. And I mean, they held a significant portion of territory for some yeah. time, which I've never seen from a radical Islamic terrorist group. And then, of course, Trump gets elected and we bombed them to smithereens and they're gone, only not gone. My question is, how powerful are they still? What kind of numbers, what kind of equipment, what are we talking about here? Are they just uh, 20 guys in a mud hut somewhere? Are they 20,000? What are they? I mean, you know, ISIS really doesn't recognize, as far as the history and their backing, doesn't really recognize borders, per se. So the whole idea of going into Afghanistan and taking over Afghanistan is, is a great opportunity for them. I mean, one of the reasons why they're enemies with Taliban is, one, they've recruited many people from the Taliban because they're much more extreme, much more rigid. You know, the Taliban wants to make money on the black market, wants to make money with the drugs and stuff, completely opposite of what ISIS wants to do. And then now ISIS coming out of Iraq, you know, again, they don't look at borders and terrorism and violence is their, their number one key. But we talked about this a little bit with Al-Qaeda. Okay, Al-Qaeda was like a franchise, almost like McDonald's, right? You have these franchises all over the world, you know, with Al-Shabaab and others in different countries. And really, ISIS is sort of following that model. So they're so much more extreme that they literally can ride on the model that Al-Qaeda, you know, structured, which, which is like these franchises all over the world. But they are so extreme, purely in violence, purely a jihad movement and if you're on board great if you're not then you're an enemy and you're slaughtered so it's really one of those things that this is a, a global threat and where they're able to make as much ground in real estate uh they they will and right now afghanistan is a prime point for that all right major then i have to ask where do they get their money? Because you're right. I mean, they're not all about the opium life like the Taliban are, but they're not, or at least they weren't without funding. They had significant funding from who? I mean, that's the interesting part is that there's still a lot of very rich individuals out there that support the ISIS movement being very strict and very dedicated to that radical, you know, Islam movement or Muslim movement. It, it's It's really one of those things that who are these individuals and there's a huge funding network that's been behind al-qaeda there's behind you know uh isis when isis was in uh, iraq they used a lot of factories and others to actually generate money there was a, a cement factory that they operated out of so they will actually occupy and take as many of the businesses and so forth and operate it themselves you know they they want to start a caliphate so that whole idea of being able to completely sustain themselves is the way they operate. Think of it as a military base. You know, our military base, if you were to shut the gates, you have everything there. You have the fire department, police department, you have fuel, you have water, everything. So that's the way that they operate, and they really make their money based on businesses that they, that they acquire physically and violently. Or there's many actors out there that are very well off that are more than happy to donate this kind of money. Okay. Uh, caliphate. Can you expand on that for people who don't understand? And I, I know people have wanted to forget about this, but this is not something that these people have forgotten about at all. What exactly is the caliphate? Well, like it was in, in, in Iraq and, and Raqqa and other places, is what they want to do is they basically want to create their utopia. It's, it's their area. It's like their, their mecca. It's their city, their environment, where it's all of the same mind, 
same uh, you know, dedication. And what they try to do is they create their entire state, again, think of it as a military base, a complete self-sustained city environment and, and utopia that they can have their people control everything from education to uh, you know, fuel, power, electricity, and provide for their own people in their own organization. So you have this incredibly rigid, incredibly dedicated, devout, hardcore, uh, religious location. And, and it's like their utopia, it's their city, their environment that they can operate out of and live. Okay. Okay, so if I'm if I'm going off of the assumption that the Taliban are going to take over all, if not a significant portion of Afghanistan, I mean they already have a significant portion. Let's just assume they're going to be the government there. I think that's a fairly safe assumption. They're going to clearly they've already publicly announced they're going to be working with China. They're already are working with Pakistan. That's not exactly news for anybody. Right. Those are some pretty heavy hitters to have standing behind you. What chance do these other terrorist organizations like ISIS have of getting anything accomplished in Afghanistan when you're going to have the Taliban there who have the juice to run you out? Right. You know, good, good point. So, so the Taliban and one of the relations that's really good with them in Pakistan was, you know, when Pakistan was uh, fighting, you know, the Indian, in Indian country in Kashmir and so forth, the Taliban helped out Pakistan. So they've always had a close relation with ISI, which was the intelligence service in Pakistan when we were there. And of course, now with, with Pakistan as a nation. So the Taliban has that uh, relationships. And of course, Pakistan's helping with the fighting in the, in the Northern Alliance uh, against those people in the North. So the interesting part is, you know, the Taliban, you have the educated individuals that are leading the government, they're using PR and public relations well, but you also have these thugs around the nation that are not very, you know, they're practically illiterate. So these are sort of their pawns and their soldiers out there. So the Taliban is a very, you know, it's a very interesting organization because of, again, you have these educated individuals in the capital and these non-educated thugs out there. So you wonder how fractured they are as, a, as an organization themselves. Now, the interesting part with, with ISIS is that ISIS is definitely going to be able to use Afghanistan as a, a source of material and weapons and so forth. So think of all the weapons we left behind, all those explosives, all those you know 20,000 hand grenades and so forth. So ISIS really can either buy or procure by taking over different areas of the Taliban much of the hardware we left behind. So it's not just a threat of the Taliban using that and the Taliban is really focused on Afghanistan. The biggest threat is ISIS getting some of that and using that as an international terrorist uh, funding for their explosives and so forth. So that's the really scary part about ISIS is being able to acquire some of that stuff that we left behind. They're a terror organization that doesn't recognize borders. So that's their mentality. And so if they can take over part of Afghanistan to operate, either get materials or to get weapons and so forth, they're going to. And they'll take that opportunity anywhere, regardless if it's Africa, Afghanistan, or anywhere else. Major, just one more thing, and thank you for your time tonight. Absolutely. Iran. We don't hear much about them anymore. Do they tie into this at all in any way? They normally have their fingers in some kind of terrorist pie. Yeah, they're sort of a, a quiet actor. And, of course, there is that border with Afghanistan. So... You know, that, that area has been pretty much closed off where they're supporting, you know, any any activity through there. So there's no way to get people, say, across the border into Iran. But one of the things that's interesting and there's been reports is that Iran has been very interested in a lot of the technology and so forth that the Taliban has. Now, you take a look at things like, for example, the Scan Eagle. Scan Eagle is a very advanced, very capable drone. We know that Iran has 
drone operations and done offensive drone operations in different parts of the world. So imagine being able to actually procure and buy those things from the Taliban and then use them in our other parts of the world. Again, it's a complicated system, so maybe the Taliban does not operate it. But this is priceless for Iran to be able to get these weapons that are U.S. U.S. military grade and employ them anywhere in the world. So being a quiet actor, we don't focus on them, but they're silent in the background and they're not doing they're not doing nothing. How about that? They're doing something. Major, it's been an honor. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Same here. Thank you for the invitation. And have people go to the at the Glen Egg for all the veterans that are having trouble. we got some resources for them. So thanks for your time. You bet. Go to that website if you're having trouble. Now, this is a great book, Al. When have you ever heard me come on here and tell you about a book? Have I ever once done it? There's a new Vince Flynn novel. A new Mitch Rapp novel. Mitch Rapp is the continuing character in this book. Yeah, Mitch Rapp for, I believe this is the 13th book that's out. He just goes around the, the world murdering terrorists. If that sounds like an exciting book, believe me, it's even better when you open them up. And their new book, Enemy at the Gates, I've now read it twice and I just got it last week. It is really, really, really good. It's available whenever book, wherever books are sold, but Simon & Schuster always does it right. Go get Vince Flynn's new book, Enemy at the Gates. We'll be back. Joining me now, the Breitbart News Washington political editor, Matt Boyle. Matt, let's go ahead and lead with the leading stuff. I understand you're big time and you sat down with the man himself, something I've never done. How'd it go? Uh, well, look, I, I got to spend a couple hours with President Trump a couple weeks ago. We talked about everything under the sun, everything you can think of. Uh, it was actually the night before that big uh, terrorist attack that we saw at Hamar Karzai International Airport there in uh, in Kabul. So uh, even then, before the terrorist attack, President Trump said that it's the, the most embarrassing moment in the history of the United States. Uh, so he was very critical of President Biden on this stuff. Obviously, the next morning, we then saw the horrible suicide bombing that claimed the lives of 13 young American servicemen and women. Uh, but uh, we talked about that. We talked about uh, his political future. We talked a lot about his endorsement process. Uh, was, we're, we're working on some bigger stories on that. Uh, he also kind of laid out why he thinks the uh, what he thinks about the Democrat Party versus the Republican Party, which was a kind of an interesting discussion. In that he thinks the Republicans only exist because the Democrats are so bad on policy. So the Democrats are so bad on policy, but they stick together in such a way that the Republicans don't. And uh, it was kind of an interesting critique of the Republican establishment. Uh, uh, some some interesting stuff there. And then, you know, obviously he was very critical of Joe Biden, uh, his successor, uh, on everything from COVID to China to obviously Afghanistan uh, and so much more. Uh, I, I, I He didn't say it outright, but I get the impression that he d intends to run again in 2024. Uh, there's every reason to believe that. He's in good spirits. He's, he's, he's fired up. He's focused. Reminds me a lot of 2016 Trump. I interviewed Trump a lot in, in the lead up to the 2016 election. I spent a lot of time with him in 2014, 15, 16, uh, and, and then did a few times with him as president. Um, uh, you could tell he learned a lot from his time in the Oval Office, from his time as president. Uh, but uh, he's also kind of a, a, a retro Trump, if you will, right? Like he's, he's kind of going back to that 
old burned down the whole political class the establishment he doesn't care about the either political parties establishment uh, uh, and so on and so forth uh, as he kind of looks toward the future um, the other thing that's really interesting every candidate in the country that's running on the Republican side in every primary everywhere is trying to get in to spend time with President Trump because his endorsement moves the needle more than anybody else uh, in, I think in the history of, I've never seen anything like it. I've been doing this for over a decade. I've never seen anything like a Trump endorsement in my time. And I'm not familiar with anybody ever in the history, or at least in modern history, uh, uh, being able to endorse someone and, and how Trump can move the needle for them. It's really incredible. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, kind of tracking that as he's going through endorsing candidates and setting the, the Republican Party up in his vision moving forward, uh, moving off the failed visions of the past, the people like Paul Ryan or, or George Bush and so on and so forth, and moving more in this populist direction. Okay, do you get the feeling, uh, Matt, that he's worn out by everybody coming in and asking for him, to, you know, to give his blessing, for lack of a better way to put it? Or do you get the feeling that he is still enjoying it? I'm basically trying to, this is a long way of me trying to ask, is he still enjoying the political game as he has always seemed to, or does he seem just kind of burnt out and done with it? No, I don't think he's burnt out at all. I think he loves it. I think he loves being the center of attention. He loves that everybody's jockeying for the endorsement. Um, he, he, he gets a kick out of it, right? Like he thinks it's fun. Uh, now look, I mean, you know, the process of going through interviewing these people that do come in and try to uh, running for Senate, House, Governor, whatever, around the country, I mean, that, that that is a tedious process of vetting them, spending time with them, getting to know them, so on and so forth. Uh, and it's not a game. But at the same time, I, I think Trump does relish the fact that he uh, uh, is at the center of this. We spent a lot of time in the interview talking about this. We, he dialed in on, while we were there on the phone. His political director, Brian Jack, who ran uh, the endorsement process in the Trump White House when he was the White House political director uh, uh, for, for Trump. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he, got a, he, he likes the fact that he's able to drive the narrative out there with these endorsements. So I think he's having a lot of fun doing it. And I think you're going to see him engage in a really smart and sophisticated way in a lot of these key primaries around the country. He's very focused on winning. He wants to wipe out those uh, establishment loser Republicans that voted to impeach him in the House and the Senate. Uh, and he wants to uh, he wants to get out there and campaign. He loves the rallies. He loves giving the speeches. We talked about his speech in Alabama, which he had done just before uh, uh, this this interview, just a few days before, and he was all fired up about that. Remember the the everything woke turns to you know, uh, S line, uh, uh, you know, he was very fired up about that. But tr Trump, I think, enjoys the uh, uh, the process. He enjoys the the gamesmanship. He 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 he, he likes playing the game. Okay, so Matt, which Republicans? does he blame and i understand i understand like it's tempting to say kinzinger and mitt romney everyone knows he hates those guys everyone hates those freaking guys is it is there still a big mitch mcconnell rift there i'm assuming so he hasn't exactly held back on that yeah by the way he lit into mcconnell during this interview like absolutely vicious on him he made sure to go have one of his staffers while we were there print out the chart where he says 
He points to before <laughs> McConnell. He endorsed McConnell in the day after, and he's like, he was trailing in the polls before, and then after. So we've got the chart. We put it in an article so people can go see the chart. President Trump had previously tweeted it before Twitter banned him, um, if you remember that. But the um, uh, back when he was in office. But anyway, yes, there's definitely a rift with him and McConnell, no doubt about it. And it's not just the impeachment Republicans. He says those ones are like dead to him. He's never going to support them. But he was really disappointed in the 19 Senate Republicans who voted for the $1.2 trillion quote-unquote infrastructure package. It isn't really infrastructure. There's a little bit of infrastructure in there, but it's mostly uh, setting up the, the left's agenda and then this bigger $3.5 trillion bill that they're trying to jam down the pike. And he, he was kind of shocked that a, a bunch of them did it. Um, you know, uh, uh, he doesn't like dislike people like a Chuck Grassley who voted for this thing. He, he He's always respected Senator Grassley, but he didn't see the logic in it. And it doesn't really make much sense. And I, I think that Trump's views are very much in line with the Republican base out there. The vast majority of the country, they're like, what the heck are these Republicans doing? Biden's flailing. He's at 39 percent approval rating. He keeps going down. Why are they racing to try to cut deals with Biden to save Biden? So it doesn't really make much sense. And it's not like they're going to get any benefit from it. So I think that he's, he's uh, you know, there, there is a level of uh, uh, distrust with some of the establishment Republicans beyond the impeachment ones. Okay, I have to ask then, because it's, it's about the Biden purge. The, the news today is Biden purges a bunch of Trump's military appointees, Kellyanne Conway and others. And what I came on opening the show is, was saying, good for Joe Biden. That's how politics is done. That's how the game's played. Is the next Republican, be that Donald Trump or others, going to do that? Because we have not traditionally done it, and Donald Trump was, in, was shackled by his own government for four years because this, we didn't do it. Yeah, is this, Trump aware of the problems inside the House for next time? Yes. So this was actually one of the most illuminating questions I asked him was I asked him, I was like, you know, what do you know now, Mr. President, that you wish you knew when you took over in 2017 that you didn't know then? Uh, and, 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 you know, how would you do things differently if you got back there in 2024? Uh, and he talked about the staff issues, right? Like, so he was like, look, I didn't realize it when I first got there that I was going to be under assault. Uh, I was going to be under siege from the day I took over. Uh, he, the way he said it is he's like, I had two missions, run the country and survive. And I didn't realize that all these people around me that were claiming to be my friend were going to be stabbing me in the back and, and, and knifing me. And I think that he's learned, he, he, said, he said that, you know, uh, he specifically singled out people like H.R. McMaster, John Bolton, uh, et cetera, as, as some of the, the bad ones. And then some of the good ones that he singled out, like that he really liked, were uh, like Rick Grinnell, who was his acting director of national intelligence. He's a huge fan of Rick Grinnell. Uh, so uh, I think he learned a little bit from some of the staff battles. Uh, and I think that, you know, that was a very illuminating, uh, introspective moment uh, from Trump, uh, uh, almost a rare moment of humility, right? Like, I mean, you don't really see that from Trump outwardly in a public interview or something like that. Um, but uh, it, it was very illuminating, and I think that he's aware of that issue from the time when he was there. The question is, is I mean, look, you won't ever see it until he gets back, if he gets back there. Maybe he, maybe he falls right back into some of those same staffing issues that you saw where some of these establishment swamp monster types 
take over again, or maybe he gets control of it and he does something different. But um, uh, even despite all of that stuff, I do think that he accomplished a lot of historic things as president. Um, uh, you know, the, you go down the list of everything from the Middle East peace deals to um, uh, the, the, uh, the the tax cuts. I mean, there's there's so much more that that President Trump act, that the energy independence. I mean, we were energy independent for the first time in a generation. So uh, the 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 question is, is will Trump be able to recreate all of that? policy success while at the same time keeping the swamp, the deep state, if you will, at bay. And uh, it's something that he's aware of, uh, and that was pretty clear from the interview. Matt Boyle, thank you so much, my brother. I appreciate it. Yep, anytime. All right. Time to lighten the mood. Next. Remember Dangerous Toys? Do kids even have those anymore? And, and I have two boys, and they're, they're rambunctious boys. You know, they're always wrestling and jumping and playing and whatnot. But as far as toys that are actually physically incredibly dangerous, I don't think they put that stuff out anymore. And it's making us soft as a nation. Remember the pogo stick? Do you remember this death machine? And I, look, maybe I'm bitter. I was so bad at the pogo stick. I could get two or three bounces and then I was always jamming myself on the inside of my leg or falling over or smashing my head on the ground. By the way, in all seriousness, wear a helmet if you do pogo stick. Well, apparently pogo stick is making a comeback and I support it. kind of cool. I, I mean, I'm not going to try it. I'm too old, but that's kind of cool. I'll see you tomorrow.